Don't you hate feeling bored with all the music on your stand? Well, luckily, you never have to feel that way again. JDW Sheet Music offers a wide variety of chamber music pieces for wind players of all ages. Their catalog includes duets, trios, quintets, and even double reed choir pieces for beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. Each of the pieces on the site will include sample pages, audio excerpts, and short descriptions. JDW Sheet Music has also made it possible to access the music sooner through the new digital download-only feature. Pieces that are marked digital download only will be made available immediately after purchase. To learn more about JDW Sheet Music, please visit www.jdwsheetmusic.com. If you're anything like me, sharpening your reed knife is one task that you definitely do not look forward to. But good news. Since day one, Gender Reed Knives have been the highest quality and sharpest reed knives on the market, and Gender Industries has been a driving force in educating double reed players on how to sharpen and maintain their reed knives. It is the single most important tool in our reed making kit, after all. Now, Genda has launched a full line of sharpening equipment to meet our sharpening needs. They're offering a wide variety of full-size and travel sharpening stones, straps, and compounds that can be used in the studio, in the music hall, or on the go, and will make your sharpening life better. You've got a good reed knife. Now it's time to start using good sharpening equipment. Add the code DRDGENDA, all capitals, no spaces, at checkout and get 10% off any gender reed knife, maintenance kit, reed knife sharpening book, cutting block, and reed tool roll. Visit them at GendaIndustries.com. And don't forget, they are much more than just reed knives. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. Okay, so we're talking about our read disasters today. Yeah, and we had a couple people say they feel like every day is a read disaster, and I can well, definitely, same. like, yeah, co-sign <laughs> on that. <laughs> can I tell you about my read disaster? Of course. This is going to be therapeutic because I actually still feel a little bit of shame about this. <laughs> so I was drive. I was um, a passenger in a carpool going to Birmingham on a gig and I was driving with this bassoon friend of mine and uh, she had her, I don't know how you guys do it, but do you like dry your unfinished reeds on a drying rack? Yeah. She had her drying <laughs> rack. Cue all the bassoon <laughs> listeners laughing at you right now. <laughs> it's called a drying rack. Yes. <laughs> you know, that thing. <laughs> So she had it in between the driver's seat and the passenger seat. And I was like, okay, don't drop anything on it. That seems dangerous. So we were doing pretty good. We were probably like three hours into it. And then, of course, I, I'm like trying to multitask. I'm like holding my phone and trying to change the volume on the radio. And I dropped it. I dropped my phone mm. onto her read rack. <laughs> killed like three or four reads and I just want to say publicly I'm still very sorry 
<laughs> and she like jumped across the car and began like attacking you. <laughs> no, it was mostly like just a defeated sigh. <laughs> She was really nice about it. I felt really bad about it. <laughs> she was really nice. I still feel really bad about it. That's pretty tragic. It was so tragic, and it was a thousand percent my fault. <laughs> what is your read disaster? My read disaster is actually not a personal read disaster. It's more one I observed. Um, and it was actually fairly recent. I was doing a school visit to a regional um, middle school in Missouri, and I was working with this student who was just brand new to the bassoon. It was like first semester beginning band. And she was playing, and I was looking, and her read had some dark spots on it. And I went, oh, okay, you know, let's talk about um, – how we maintain our reads and how we store our reads and what are healthy habits. And because you see, you have just a little bit of mold here on this read. So we don't want to put that in our mouth. We want to throw it away when they start to spot like that or if they smell funky. Um, probably means we need to change a couple things and definitely replace uh, the read. And she goes, Well, this is the best one I have. And oh, I no. said, Well, um, it plays the best. And she goes, It has the least mold. No. And I went, okay. And she goes, do you want to see? No. And I went, okay. <laughs> she hands me her read case. No. And I open it up. And inside were two reeds that were so molded over, they had begun to grow white fur. <laughs> I am not joking. I am oh, not exaggerating. No. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life I was did you direct her to the emergency room <laughs> well I did I was like do you put these in your mouth and she's like well not when they get like that and I was like ah. okay good <laughs> great uh and you know you don't want to make her like feel bad like oh the side of your reads makes me want to gag but we'll talk <laughs> the side of her reads made me want to gag and I showed her band director, and he thought it was, like, the most hilarious thing. He was like, we should post about this on Facebook. I was like, this oh. is not good PR. We are not posting about <laughs> this on Facebook, but I'm glad you have a good spirit about it. So that was a, a new one for me. I'd never seen it quite that bad. I was like, okay, well live and learn at that point you want to like send her to a specialist make sure there's nothing in her lungs <laughs> like, it was bad it was pretty bad well our listeners sent in some equally terrible gems i know i loved it there was no shortage of um, read disasters for this time why don't you start <laughs> okay so this entry is from Andrea. I'm just going to read it. It's really good. We were playing Traveler by Mazanka when I was in grad school, and I didn't realize it, but my read cracked about halfway through. I realized the tragedy immediately before the excruciatingly long oboe solo toward the end, as I had been flat and didn't have a chance to look at my read. Since... This was a showcase recital involving several university music groups. I was only playing one piece, so of course I didn't bring a spare read. <laughs> Smack my head emoji. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to lip up the entire solo, and my face was burning when I was done. Cry face. 
The weird thing, it was apparently the best I had played the solo, according to my band director. Oh, no. <laughs> to say I was on the edge of my chair the whole time. She should have done, you know that video that went viral a couple months ago where he cracks yeah. the reed and then he grabs uh-huh. the second, or uh, oboe's <laughs> reed and like, give me that should've. reed. That's what she should have done. <laughs> give me your oboe. You know what really screams beautiful playing? Just clenched, tight body language. I thought you were going to say butt cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I get compliments like that, I'm like, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a compliment or what. I've gotten many in my life where, like, something disastrous happens and someone's like, wow, that was the best I've ever heard you. And you're like, mm. <laughs> oh, Andrea, I feel your pain. I bleed for you. Well, we had a couple dogs want to get in on the Reed game. Apparently, they are just delicious little morsels of goodness. <laughs> get out of here, dogs. We have Caitlin, who says, My Cocker Spaniel literally ate two of my best reeds right before a huge gig. I pulled the mangled gold Lorray staples from her jaws. Cry emoji, frustrated emoji. (laughs) And Amanda says, My dog Liesel ate my reeds before an FSU ensemble placement audition. I had to call Dr. Olson and literally say, "Uh, My dog ate my reeds. You know, I was in school with Amanda when that happened, and (laughs) that's literally how it happened. That's awesome. He he also did the literal, like, smack my head emoji, but in real life. (laughs) I can't play today. My dog ate my reeds. (laughs) I love it. Okay, this is from Kayla. In my first year of playing, ninth grade, 14 years old, I didn't have a proper reed case, and I kept my reeds in plastic tubes that I bought them in. My high school band was setting up for playing in a festival, and I was putting my bassoon together when I realized I seemed to have lost my only good reed. Could not find it anywhere. So I I played on an oldie moldy. Needless to say, the <laughs> Hopefully concert- no fur was involved. <laughs> The concert didn't go well. I swabbed my bassoon out afterward, and my reed fell out of my boot joint. (laughs) The way my case is set up and my bassoon sat, a Fox 220. One of the holes is open, and I guess while I was walking, my reed made its way into the bassoon. After that, I brought a proper reed case. (laughs) That's amazing. My reed (laughs) fell into my bassoon. So last night read it was in my bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, another one we should do sometimes. Things found in one's boot joint. I, I uh, bet there's just amazing stories about all the goodies we can find down there. Wedding rings. <laughs> all right, my next one, Daniela says. Sorry, I'm scrolling. I once got in trouble for smoking in the hallway at school. I was on my way to get water to soak reeds, and the thing they thought was smoking was an oboe reed I had in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, once I got in trouble, I don't, they probably don't give out pink slips anymore in high school, but I got a pink slip for eating an apple in the hallway between classes. Oh my gosh. So rude. They hate fiber. Nutrition. (laughs) I know, Daniela, you're such a bigger rebel than I was. Smoking in the hallway with your oboe reeds. With your oboe reeds. Dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous. Okay, so this one from Jeffrey is 
so amazing. <clears throat> a friend and I were playing in a massed orchestral event when we were teenagers. A little boy sitting in front of us was playing the recorder. My friend said something uncomplimentary about the little boy's playing. The kid waited until my friend was playing his part, turned around, and pushed the bell of the oboe up with his hand. The reed went into my friend's palate, resulting in a very sore mouth and smashed reed. That's, like, evil. That's, like, a young psychopath. For real. I, I was like, um, that's almost, like, not funny. <laughs> it's not funny, actually. I'm just going to go on the record and say I don't think it's funny to uh, put a bell into a mouth. <laughs> is in the 1% of the population that are true psychopaths. His name was Damien. <laughs> John Walsh is on the hunt for him now. Oh, my gosh. Scary. Your poor that friend. A vengeful child. Ugh, bad. That could, like, be really bad. That could be really bad. Please don't do that. Like, I clenched in sympathy pain as you were reading. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, Rachel says, a pupil turned up to their first lesson. I opened the reed box to find three lovely brand new reeds. The only problem was there was sticky tape around the blades of each one. I was then handed a note from the student from the mom to say that she saw the gaps down the side and thought the reeds were broken. So she stuck them back together with tape. Had to explain that she now needed to buy three more reeds and leave them alone as she had, in fact, broken them all. Oh. Moms, stay out of it. <laughs> also, dads, stay out of it. I've had way too many curious dads saying, huh, what, uh, what are you doing there? You making that? I could do that, right? I could, I could do that. Or, like, looking very, very, like, too curiously at the oboe itself it's like step away <laughs> don't touch anything well and i feel like the the motto for all double read parents should be i just bought you a read why i don't get it because they're so expensive i feel like all my parents are always oh, like yes. i just bought you one two months ago <laughs> i just bought you one <laughs> it's like we need more than one and just can we have a more working definition of the word just? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just bought you what? You know how we're always in the market for good quality handmade reeds? Well, MKL is the one-stop shop for handmade oboe reeds where you can try reeds from various makers and select the one that is best for you. Visit mklreads.com and enter coupon code DOUBLEREADDISH, three separate words, all caps, for free shipping on your first order. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Double or Nothing Reeds. You know them. They're the company that's dedicated to providing excellent handmade oboe and bassoon reeds to discriminating double reed players of all ages and abilities. And good news. Double or Nothing Reeds has recently expanded to sell double reed tools and supplies, gift items, and more. This includes knives, knife blades, thread, staples, cane, bags, and resources for students. 
Better yet, as authorized Fox and Yamaha dealers, they offer an extensive range of oboes and bassoons for all levels. Additionally, they sell quality used instruments on consignment. And if you're looking for private oboe lessons and can't find anyone nearby, Double or Nothing Reads offers oboe lessons via Skype. Visit their website, doubleornothingreads.com, for good quality and affordable read-making supplies and resources, lessons, instruments, and much more. We are so excited to welcome to Double Read Dish, Ramon Ortega Caro, Principal Oboe of the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra and soon-to-be Principal Oboe of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Could we start off by having you tell us about how you started to play the oboe? Yes. Well, in my family, uh, there is music. Uh, My father is a pianist. Uh, He's retired now. He was a teacher at the Granada Conservatory. And I have also a two-year-older sister. So as kids, we, we were always surrounded by music, either recordings at home or my father took us to the uh, conservatory orchestra rehearsals, which he was conducting sometimes. And uh, yes, there was a piano at home as well, so we loved to, to play it just for fun. And uh, yes, then uh, in Spain, you usually start by the age of eight, the conservatory studies. And uh, by that time, I was loving playing the piano, and I just wanted to play the songs that my sister was already able to play much better than me, but I was <laughs> by myself practicing and and wanting to play them. And um, yes, uh, I think my father already saw that there is little conflict about uh, who wants to play the piano I wanted to play, and my sister too, because she was already taking lessons. So yeah, he suggested me the oboe, I think because uh, his best friend at the conservatory was the oboe teacher, who was called uh, Miguel Quiroz. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he knew him very well, and he knew he was a really good teacher and brilliant oboist, so he thought, why not to try? So we tried it this way, and uh, it went very, very, very good from the beginning. Would you talk about um, your educational and training journey and how you got to where you are today? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I started uh, studying at the Granada Conservatory, uh, first with Miguel Quiroz, this teacher I mentioned, um, for five years until he retired. He was already quite old, well, old, like about 60 when I started with him and uh, yeah, until he retired. And then um, by the age of 13, I was two years um, changing teachers. Um, there was every time a new teacher in Granada, but uh, I was never so happy with, uh, with the people coming. And um, then by the age of 15, in 2003, came this um, project by Daniel Barenboim, West Eastern Divan Orchestra, to Andalusia, to the region where I was living. And uh, it was a big thing. It was a big issue that, of course, Barenboim was coming and taking the orchestra there, and there was an agreement that some local musicians could audition for it and take part on the 
on the orchestra tours and rehearsals. So I did audition and luckily got accepted on, in 2003. And the, in that orchestra was coaching the, the winds Gregor Witt, which is the Staatskapelle Berlin solo oboe. And uh, yes, that's how I met my future teacher. And uh, I remember also Barenboim told me, yes, you should go study with Gregor. He's really great oboist and musician, and he can help you. So that's how I started with, uh, studying with Gregor, and I continued for four years. At first in Spain, there was an academy in Sevilla created by that time, and he would come once a month like for a long weekend, so three, four days, and uh, we would have kind of uh, intense workshops. And then the, the last uh, year and a half, two years, I was already going to Berlin every up and now, having lessons, and yeah, the last year who was 2007, then I moved to Germany and studied with, with him there. Can you talk to us about um, your experiences and journey embarking on your professional career? Mm, yes, uh, well, mm, at that time, also when I moved to Germany, I planned to, to continue studying um, normally in Germany for a few years, I thought, at least. But um, very soon, I mean, Gregor Witt, my teacher, was always believing that I should take part on competitions, I mean, national or international competitions. So I remember already in that year, in 2007, I, I played for a competition in Hanover, which was like, um, so to say, regional competition of the Hochschules, like the... The, the schools, the high schools of music in the north of Germany. And uh, it went very well, and I won the, the first prize in this competition. And then uh, f uh, three months after, in September, was the IRD, International Competition in Munich, and uh, I got accepted. You have to send a recording for it. And, uh, yeah, I took part on this competition without any expectation, but... Uh, it turned out that I won the first prize, which was really amazing wow. experience. And this really turned my life uh, from from one day to the other. Um, so I started receiving invitations for uh, playing as a soloist and also for um, substituting in German orchestras, um, among others, the Bavarian Radio the Symphony Orchestra, which was having a free place, free uh, principal oboe place at that time. And then only five months after this, there was the audition, and I won it. So I really remember this IRD competition week as the, really a changing life experience. Wow. Yeah. That's how I became a professional. <laughs> yes. With 19-year-old, it was definitely very early, but uh, somehow it went the right way for me uh, because you also experienced the most, I would say. So I remember I continued only half a year studying with Gregor after that, and then I had to move to Munich, and we couldn't meet so regularly because I, I was very, very busy. So, but yeah, I started working on my own, and yeah, <laughs> so 
Somehow wow. I, I made it through. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you were a very driven young person. And I'd be curious about your practice habits and how you um, saw your career when you were a student. Well, I have to say I was very lucky with my first teacher because, um, among other things, I mean, he helped me a lot with uh, reads. He gave me very, very light reads at the beginning, which um, didn't probably sound the nicest, <laughs> but uh, it gave me this, you know, feeling of that oboe is not such a hard instrument as mm -hmm. when you play a bit harder reads that uh, later on I would, of course, take. But uh, this I consider to be very important because, uh, say, eight, nine, ten-year-old, you just want to play and have fun somehow, not to struggle with such a hard instrument as the oboe could be. You know? So uh, this was very, very important. And he also kind of, um, he was adapting his method to each student, which I think it was very important for me because in my case I was always very quick, very going forward and um, yeah, I remember after a few months I already finished the program for the for the year, so he wouldn't have a problem with that. He would always go on and uh, give me new repertoire and you know what I mean, not getting stuck on, no, you have to do this and, and more perfectly. And he was somehow very easy going on this way and just, okay, he's able to play this. Of course, you always can play better, but he would give me the feeling it's fine and we can go on. And mm -hmm. I think this was very, very important for me as a 8, 9, 10-year-old because um, I had the impression that music was uh, fun and really something you can enjoy and later when you get more mature and older you can of course you have to uh, start working on perfection and and uh, getting things um, you know well played and nicely done but i think it's also very important to get this this uh, flowing this easiness and this uh, carefree somehow fun that the music also give us so mm -hmm. do you think that your attitude about um you know being excited about pursuing music and and eager to take on the next thing do you think that that was important in navigating this sudden change from student life and then winning the competition and then all of a sudden you're quite busy professional do you think that that was helpful to you in that transition Mm, yes, and actually turned out to be, I think, the the right way for me. Of course, when you are young, you you dream, you have dreams, and you think, oh, I would love uh, playing one day as a solo oboe and this or this orchestra or just a good orchestra, or whatever. So, so, and when I went to the competition, I didn't expect at all to to make it even to the finals or even the semi-finals because that's one of the most important competitions we have in Europe. And uh, if you see the, the list of winners, they are all amazing oboists. And uh, yes, you are just very honored to be able to take part on the first round. And actually, that's what my teacher told me. I remember on the lessons we had before, 
Um, so I went there without any expectation, but then, you know, round by round, you, you pass, and then you look around, and you see, well, you think, maybe I could make it to the next round or to the final even, and then maybe some prize. You never really expect the first prize, but, uh, but it turned out this way, and I think... Somehow I was ready because um, my personality is uh, a bit like this. I need to be challenged. I remember Gregor told me this very often. Like I always need a, a challenge in order to to motivate myself and to 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 get up, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. actually, in this sense, it was really perfect to just throw me out there in the world and. Now you have to play. <laughs> but, uh, I, I was very, very self-confident somehow and uh, believed very much that I could do it. And I, I, of course, uh, went step by step, you know, concert by concert. Now I have to play Mozart, now Martino, now Strauss, and now this audition. And, yeah, I mean, I had a little orchestra experience through the divan, which was very important in that time, and also a few um, youth orchestra uh, experiences I had. Uh, for example, the Spanish National Youth Orchestra, or in the Andalusian Youth Orchestra I played since I was 12. So I had already some years of experience playing first, playing second oboe, uh, the Divan Orchestra was, of course, a very, very important experience. I mean, being able to work with Barenboim when you are just 15, this was really, really amazing. So, you know, it's not that I just came from my home and the, the oboe lessons to the, to the orchestra, but, of course, I had to learn a lot and make my own reads ready and uh, learn all the repertoire. But, uh, yeah, you know, when you are young, <laughs> when you are this age, I think uh, somehow you are a bit fearless, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because <laughs> you don't know so much, so you are in a way naive, but uh-huh. you have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, confidence somehow. That was my case. So I think that was the receipt to survive it. Can I ask what are some of the important things that you learned from Baron Boim when you were a young person in his orchestra? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it, the first tour marked me so much, I, and it was such a fun and such an intense experience that I remember coming back home after this first tour and thinking, I want to be a professional musician. You know, he's... Uh, his person and how he lives the music and all this intensity and amazing level. And also, I have to say, the fun of the traveling, going on tour and visiting great cities. And when you are 15, you know, it's really amazing experience. And I remember after that tour, I, I had very clear, okay, I want to go for, for it. I, I will try to, to become a professional musician, no? Always. So um, then I learned a lot from him um, to think on the long lines of the music, which is so important also for the wind instruments because we are limited by our breath. We are not like um, piano or string instruments. I think they are a bit less, uh, they don't have this limitation of the breath. So for them, I guess it's a bit easier to, to think on longer lines. But uh, 
remember we were working on Schubert Unfinished. And I was playing first oboe in that uh, piece, and Parenboim would take such a slow tempo on the second movement, and there is this oboe solo, and there is clarinet and oboe all the time solos, and I, I, I was thinking, how can I play such a long phrase in this tempo? But, <laughs> but he would push us, I mean, me and the clarinet player, uh, every time on the rehearsal, slower and slower. Then <laughs> <laughs> by the concerts, it was so easy to just, uh, you know, think on the music and enjoy. But on the rehearsals, he was working on this. and Keep the sound and, yes, don't rush, just keep the sound and play the, the whole phrase. And it was really, yeah, such, a, such an experience. I would love to hear about your experience in um, premiering the Oboe Concerto Legacy by Oscar Navarro. Mm -hmm. Well, this was uh, also a very interesting project. Uh, it all came out um, because I heard on the Internet, uh, on my Facebook or YouTube, his second clarinet concerto by the time it was premiered. And I remember I was so fascinated by this piece, like from the very beginning to till the end of the piece, that I was, wow, this guy is so great, like what a amazing music he writes. He's a mixture of uh, movie music with um, classical or romantic music, so to say. And uh, he always uh, has this touch of uh, soundtrack uh, music, so... I thought after this uh, that actually there is not such a piece on the oboe repertoire, or not that I knew. And I liked it so much that I I remember just searching for his contact on Google and writing him to see if he would be interested at all on uh, writing an oboe concerto and what were his conditions for doing it and he wrote me back actually just a day later telling that he would love it and and that those were his conditions so we just had to to find who would um, make it possible to to premiere this piece and I wrote with my agent uh, who which orchestra could do it and we were asking several orchestras and at the end we got an offer by this uh, Norddeutsche Philharmonie in Herford, is, uh, uh, telling that they would be willing to do it and that actually they would offer us a six-concert tour around in Germany wow. with, with the piece. So I thought this was actually perfect because uh, for a new piece to be played at, at the beginning six times is already a great step. Um, also for myself as a performer, so it was giving us the perfect uh, space to to premiere it. And yes, then we were working a lot on Skype because uh, he's living in Madrid and I was living in Munich at that time. So um, he would send me, "Look, Ramon, I composed the 51st part. So what do you think?" And uh, send me scores, and I would let him know my comments but I didn't want to influence much on his uh, on his inspiration or on his uh, um, original idea I actually and most of what he sent actually was playable some passages uh, a little bit more difficult than others because he's a clarinet player so 
um, I guess some things on the clarinet may be easier than for the oboe, other things the opposite. So, But uh, yeah, I was very, very happy actually with all what he was sending me. And um, just for the end, I remember I asked him to make it a bit more exciting, more chromatic, uh, the coda of the concerto, and then he would send me another version. And yeah, it was really, really, really fun. And he came to the premiere, and uh, yeah, it was very, very amazing time. Um, you mentioned um, his music sounding a little bit like a movie score, and I thought that would be a fun transition to asking about your audition in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yes, would it's you... perfect, Link, because uh, actually he studied in L.A. for, I think, two or three years. So, But at this time, actually, I would even... I would never consider or even think that I could end up there because uh, it is somehow so separated, no? That we have the European oval school and the American oval school. So for us Europeans, it's kind of unthinkable to think you are you are going to play in an American orchestra. But well, that's maybe the destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what attracted you to the L.A. Philharmonic, and what was your um, journey to audition there? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know there is a free place. It was on summer, uh, I think July, that I got an uh, invitation by the orchestra committee on the name of uh, Gustavo Dudamel and the, the principals of the orchestra um, at first, uh, it, I was written by the principal flute, Denis Puryakov, and then by the orchestra office. And uh, yes, they asked me if I would consider the possibility of coming to the audition. And I was thinking about it for a while, and well, LA is such a great place that you don't have to think so much. <laughs> so I spoke with my wife and said, I mean, she comes from Israel, and we are for 10 years living in Munich, and uh, yeah, we come both from the south, and we have our difficulties with the, with the Middle European winter, <laughs> which is so long and so much colder than what we we are used to, or what we were used to as children. So we thought, well, LA is an amazing place, and uh, why not? I mean, I'm still 29, and we live only once, so I thought, <laughs> why not to do something like this, something a little bit crazy? And, uh, yeah, I decided to go to the auditions, which uh, took place in October. And, uh, yes, I was successful to to get to the super finals and then to the to be the only one uh, invite to to play a rehearsal with the orchestra where i played um, orchestral excerpts for you know solo oboe and also a lot of um, excerpts with two oboes because this was one of the main concerns how would it blend uh, european sounding oboes with uh, the American always section, which they have in L.A., but it worked wonderfully, and I'm very happy that everyone uh, believed on this, and uh, yes, we will try it out from September. <laughs> Amazing. 
Yes, really. It's uh, it was you know from again like from one day to the next, uh, your life really turns uh, 180 degrees direction, and yes, it's really adventurous. Um, one question I have, you are very obviously active as an orchestral musician. You're very active in concerto engagements. You do a lot of chamber music. How do you approach your practice time so that it's as efficient as possible? And is there a, a mental shift in going between these two different roles, soloist and orchestral player, or is it very natural to you? It took me some time to actually develop a method that would work for me, because um, especially with reeds, you know, uh, I'm playing marigo oboe, which I think is uh, quite flexible on this sense. It allows you to play in the orchestra, but also for solo and chamber music. It's 901 from marigo model. Mm -hmm. It's uh, very good, but. For the reads, we really have to change, or at least on my case, I uh, I remember uh, I had solo piece, uh, solo performance, and then making the the read for that concert the days before, and that was actually not a good way to 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 approach it. And uh, for now, uh, I always try to work on the same way. I prepare my new reads for the orchestra weeks. And uh, then if they are good and I can play them at the orchestra for one or two weeks, uh, those reads then I would use for solo performance and later on for chamber music. Uh, the mm. chamber music reads for me or recital read has to be the, the ones that are most played and that um, have the, the most pure vibration of all because you need to play for one and a half, two hours. So you, read, uh, you need a material that is already flexible and that you don't need to correct with the knife anymore, I find. And for the orchestra, it's actually the contrary. You need a big sound. You need to come out. So that's why, I, for me, it works working the new reads for the, for the orchestra weeks. That's a, I had never thought about that before, but that seems like a really efficient way to do it. Yeah, really, and it um, it saves me making tons of reads because I know that you could also change diameters, for example, or play more with the harder game for orchestra, softer game for solo or recital, but I find then you have to make many more reads because uh, already to find one good read, it, may, it takes you maybe five reads to make, mm -hmm. so... Um, yes, I find that this method uh, allow me to to play everything without spending all my life making reads. <laughs> <laughs> Which anyway, we have to to make tons of them. As I say, normally, if you find one good read, you have made three or four not so good reads. So that's I think that's a, a good way. And since I don't have too much uh, orchestra work because that's really a luxury in Munich or in the radio orchestras in Germany we are two principals coordinated so we really get to play the 50% of the of the workload and um, yes uh, that gives me a very good balance what are the things that um, help you to achieve work-life balance you said you 
I mean, nobody wants to spend all their time making reads. So how do you keep it all in balance for yourself? Well, I, I find that practicing isn't work. I mean, it's like, I don't know, like if you brush your teeth or <laughs> or make mm -hmm. your food, you know, it's something that I have to do, for example, if I have a few free days, so I I play or practice for one hour to just to keep in shape because then you you have to be in shape to play another concert in the orchestra or solo. So um in this sense I don't I don't see the practicing or when I also go for orchestra rehearsals or uh, chamber music rehearsals I don't really see it as as work by you know in the sense that it's something I'm not willing to do or that I'm putting myself to do something in order to earn money or make my living you know I really mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I'm able to live from the music and I really enjoy most of the time. Of course, there are times, or for example, traveling is for me very, very heavy. It's not something I love to do, but it's, it's part of it. But uh, about practicing or going to the rehearsals, I don't see it as such a lasting activity. So I take it very naturally and... Uh, of course, I take care not to take too too much work because that's important. Then it's when you start losing the the love or the passion for it, and when it becomes heavy. But uh, if you if you manage to balance your schedule that it is not too too heavy, then I think um, yes, I don't need special time off or. Of course, uh, holidays are important <laughs> every every time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm happy if I get in summer three weeks off. That's really wonderful. And then during the season, some week, some two weeks, that's, that's really enough. One of my favorite questions to ask is, can you tell us about a favorite memory of a past performance? There are many, actually. There is not one, I would say, but uh, my Carnegie Hall debut, this was very, very special. I will remember it very, very long time, I think, because, you know, all what it means, Carnegie Hall and being invited by them to play a recital was was very, very special. And I love New York, too, so I had a very good time before and after the concert. Um, then I also remember a Carnegie Hall and Beethoven Ninth with Janssons on my first year at the orchestra. Wow. I, yes, I remember his passion and of course I knew already uh, how delicate is his health and his heart in general. And uh, I remember thinking during the concert, wow, this guy is giving everything 200% and I know he's a bit delicate on the head. So this gave me so much uh, motivation and uh, strength and passion. And yes, uh, well, many concerts with Barenboim too on the divan. My uh, first recording with orchestra was too very special with the Camera Academy post Potsdam recording Baroque repertoire, which is one of my favorite repertoires. So we played the uh, Johann Sebastian Bach concerti and Telemann, 
Um, we played without conductor, so everyone was so involved. And the church we recorded on was is beautiful in Berlin. It's this Jesus Christus uh, Church in Berlin it's, uh, sounds really marvelous there. I enjoyed it very much. What advice do you have for people um, dealing with performance anxiety and maybe even imposter syndrome? Well, uh, I think the main advice for um, against anxiety is to think that this is very, very normal thing that I would say everyone in the performing world are dealing with. Some people are naturally more for the stage. They are less afraid than others. But on my case, I also got very, very nervous as a student, and I still get nervous before concerts. And uh, one has to know that uh, every day is a bit different. Uh, different, sorry. Uh, sometimes you play with a very good orchestra or conductor in an important hall, and you are somehow quiet. Uh, read works well. You have slept well. I don't know. It really depends on the day. And other days, in a not so important place, you you get nervous somehow. Uh, the experience is very important to deal with it. So when you are a student, you are not familiarized or when you don't get to play so often uh, in the orchestra or um, recital. So it's normal to, to be afraid and to be nervous. And in the end, we have to think that um, everyone coming to a concert should just enjoy it. It's just music, you know. Luckily, we don't get to kill or save anyone when we are working as <laughs> doctors or, you know, if you are a pilot, then you have really much more responsibility. If we play a wrong note, it's really not the end of the world. So this must be very clear that it, uh, a concert is a fun and enjoyment experience for everyone. That's the way it should be. And uh, then, of course, the experience will really help. So... Whenever you can perform, if you have an audition or an important concert coming up, try to organize you maybe like three, four times uh, playing for your friends or your family. This will really help you manage the situation. And the imposter syndrome, as far as I understand it, I don't know if I'm right, is... Uh, when you don't really believe on yourself or on the value of yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I think that actually everyone has something special and we should not, um, we should not compare us to, to any other performer. I think that's the way it should be because this is art. This is not uh, sports or... Uh, you know, science where you really have to deal with results. I mean, this is art, and art is a very personal thing. What one person finds awful, another might find it beautiful. So everyone has something unique and special, and uh, yes, one shouldn't really care too much about what is around or why others are mean. You know, you try to offer the best of you to the people and already by doing that it's it's enough I find if you do it in a honest way then it's the way it should be
That's beautiful. Another one of my favorite questions is what is your favorite repertoire to play? What are your, some of your go-to pieces that you look forward to? And this can be solo, orchestral, chamber. It's a big question, but we always love to ask this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the hardest questions ever. <laughs> but uh, if I have to say one or two composers, I would say um, Johann Sebastian Bach and Mozart. Really, these are composers that I enjoy the most playing, and I have played a lot of Bach uh, chamber music and concertos, and it's then it's really impossible to choose one of the pieces because each of them has really the most amazing moments. And uh, the same for Mozart. I I remember last year I played. Uh, there is an arrangement by David Walter of his. Um, uh, G minor quintet for for two violas. Mm. Um, so he arranged it for oboe and string quartet. So with two violins, viola and cello, and it's it, it was so much fun playing this piece. The same for the Mozart uh, concerto or quartet. It's, it's such a fresh and flowing music that I could be playing this for for the whole day and I wouldn't be tired. <laughs> it just keeps you on the on the flow and on the go and it's it's really marvelous music. What advice would you have for a young person who aspires to have a career like yours? Hmm hard question. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, I can maybe think of myself when I was uh, this young age, sometimes I was a bit anxious or um, I don't know why, my education background, but I was uh, sometimes really worried what would be with with my life. And I think um, one shouldn't worry. You have to do with patience what you love, really find what you really love deeply and then follow it and dedicate yourself to it and the results will come it's really not important so the international double read society conference is in granada this year and so i'm curious what suggestions you have for people who've never been there before what do they need to see or experience or eat uh what should they go do (laughs) well granada is I'm sorry, I, I don't know if it's because I, I come from there, but to me it's the most marvelous city in the world <laughs> because, uh, yes, it's, um, it's such a place where you have art, like old and new. It's, it's lively, it's young. It's very easy to live. You can go by foot anywhere or by bike. You are really quickly anywhere. The weather is really amazing. It will be in August, so take light clothing with you (laughs) (laughs) and about the food don't worry I mean there is everything there for uh, amazing paella or uh, we have the gazpacho or salmorejo which is very appropriate for the summer it's this uh, tomato soup very refreshing and full of vitamins um, there is uh, great meat or the Spanish tortilla, which I miss so much. <laughs> 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 so, 
So about the food, I wouldn't say there is nothing to worry. You will find great uh, tapas bars. It's really easy because also in Granada is one of those places in Spain where you just order a drink, like a beer or a Coke, and then you get automatically a little tapa, something to eat. So uh, for for dinner, it's perfect because you go out, you drink a few beers or drinks and then you have eaten you don't need much more so and then visiting of course the Alhambra is, is really a world a monument and uh, Generalife is like the, the summer palace you know, close to the Alhambra and then just losing yourself in the center walking on those little streets is, is amazing the Albaicin you have to go walk there most probably you will find people playing guitar on the street and yeah I think everyone will enjoy it I would say to reserve a few days either before or after the conference to just enjoy the city so do you have anything special coming up that uh, you would like to mention to our listeners that you're excited about well most excited I am about moving to LA of course playing with this amazing orchestra in this uh, hall which is so great Uh, from what I could play there I really was wishing to to play more Um, and then starting my own class at Colburn this will be really really exciting because uh, I have teach uh, master class um, some lessons privately but uh, I think having your own class and working regularly with someone it's something that can be a lot of fun and uh, I look very most forward to this otherwise I have still until the summer a lot of solo concerts and at the moment I'm in Bremerhaven it's like near Bremen in Germany a beautiful little town and I'm playing three times a Strauss concerto um, and then in March uh, next month I will be playing Bach Concerti in Netherlands in April I will be in Spain playing solo so a lot of fun at the orchestra we have also a New York tour with Janssons playing Eroica and uh, yes in June I remember it's coming Giovanni Antonini this great Italian conductor for the Baroque repertoire and he will be doing Bach cantatas so I look forward to playing this and then having holiday in the summer and uh, taking energy for moving to LA (laughs) well Ramon Ortega Carroll thank you so much for joining us on Double Read Dish we always like to close on asking where our listeners can find you on the internet well thank you it's really a pleasure talking to you and uh, on the internet you can find my website is ramonortegaquero.com otherwise uh, check the Bayerische Rundfunk uh, website where there are also a lot of uh, recordings of our live concerts or on Spotify there are many of my CDs there yes I think that's enough (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you really that was fun (laughs)
We hope you loved that wonderful interview with Ramon Ortega, and we hope you'll follow us slash subscribe on all of our social media, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And don't forget to join us on our next episode when we welcome Amy Pollard from the University of Georgia for a chat.